you have your Bible, please open to the book of James chapter 2. James chapter 2, and we're so excited, so glad to have our children in with us today. <clears throat> I say that, I think I'm lying. Some of you parents are uh, a little nervous about this morning. I asked my boys what I should do, and they said, just preach fast, Dad, preach fast. And so, <laughs> thanks, Maddox. We'll see what we can do on that. <clears throat> James chapter 2. And the title this morning is The Chicken or the Egg, and hopefully that'll make more sense as we move on. Last week, the title was The Proof is in the Pudding. This week, the title is The Chicken and the Egg. I'm reminded that talk is cheap. We see so much talk all around us, but the reality is talk is cheap. The day before Thanksgiving, the mayor of Denver, his name is Michael Hancock, he tweeted out some safety recommendations for his people. He urged his people to stay home as much as you can. He said, we must avoid travel. He said, I know Thanksgiving is approaching and you're going to want to spend it with family and friends as normal, but this is not the time to do so. Instead, host a virtual gathering through your phone or through a video chat, but stay in your home. 30 minutes later, he went and got on the first of two airplanes and traveled to Mississippi to attend a family gathering with his loved ones. And you see something like that, and you just shake your head, don't you? <clears throat> then about a month later, the mayor of Austin posted a video on Facebook, and he told residents, we need to stay home if you can. This is not a time to relax. If we don't take this seriously, we're going to have to close Austin down again. He was in Cabo San Lucas, Mexico on vacation when he posted that video. Talk is cheap all around us. We live in a world where everybody knows what to say. Everybody has the right words to say, whether that is in the church, in politics, at our workplace, at our school. Everybody knows what to say, but the reality is action is what reveals what we really believe. It is how we respond. It is how we act that really matters. James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, is the climax. It is the high point of the book of James. James is deeply troubled by the attitude towards faith that sees it primarily as a verbal profession. For James, a faith that is only words and has no works is a faith that has no value whatsoever. This is why the entire book of James is so relevant for us today in our culture. For many folks, their faith is only a belief system that they ascribe to mentally, but it does not result in any change in their life. Many folks are holding on to some type of salvation security when there should be none. I want to ask you a twofold question, and I want you to think about it. Number one, do you know that you're truly saved this morning? That should be a yes or no. Think about it. Do you know that you have truly been saved this morning? And the next question is like it, how do you know? 
Have you truly been saved, yes or no? And then the follow-up question is, how do you know? Because for many people, they give an illegitimate answer to that question. If you ask many people, they will say, I know I'm saved because I've been through the waters of baptism. But I want to tell you, there's nothing supernatural about those waters, and that does not save you. You can be baptized and still be lost. Some say, I know I'm saved because I'm a member of a good church. You can be a member of Woodland Hills Baptist Church and still be lost and headed to hell. Church membership does not save you. You can give money, you can give time, you can do all these things, but it does not mean that you are truly saved. We must deal with the deception and the delusion that knowing the truth equates redemption because it does not. There is a faith in the Bible that is not enough to save. There is a faith in the Bible that is not powerful enough to bring true salvation. James calls this a dead faith. There is a belief in God that is not enough to offer a true salvation. I see that in John chapter 2. Let me just read it to you. John chapter 2, verse 23 and 24. It says, now when he, talking about Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Imagine that Jesus is in Jerusalem, the time of Passover, and many believe in him. Many trust in him. Many put their faith in him because of what he is doing. But then you look at the next verse, and it says, But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. Picture this, they believe in Jesus, but Jesus does not believe in them. They trust in Jesus, but Jesus does not trust their trust. They have some kind of faith that they're placing in Jesus, but it's not enough to save them. A church that is full of people with dead faith will always result in a dead church. And so I believe what we come to in James chapter 2 is a wake-up call. There's a siren that's going off, and it says, wake up and evaluate your spiritual condition to see if you are truly saved or if you're not. Faith that is only words is worthless. It does not have the power to save, and it does not have the power to justify. But we must be careful. The passage before us this morning has led to some of the most uh, confusion and controversy out of all the passages in the Bible. So look down, James chapter 2, verse 14. My first point is faith without works is useless. Faith without works is useless. Verse 14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works. Can that faith save him? Now, this is the line that has caused much chaos in many churches. Do you remember Martin Luther, the great theologian? When Martin Luther came across this verse, he wanted to rip the book of James out of the Bible. He said the book of James does not have a place in the canon of Scripture. Martin Luther went on to call the book of James an epistle of straw because of this verse. And the reason why is because Luther 
knew very well the writings of Paul. He knew, for example, that in Romans 4, Paul said this, Now to the one who works, his wage is not counted as a gift, but as his due. As to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. God counts righteousness apart from works. And then we have Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We know it well. <clears throat> For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, but it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no man can boast. Martin Luther had read the other writings in the Bible, and the Bible clearly states that man is justified by faith apart from works. And when you add works to your faith, you nullify faith, you nullify grace, you nullify salvation, and you make Christianity just like all the other false religions of the world. And so Luther comes to James 2, 17, and he reads these words, faith without works is dead. Faith without works is useless. It cannot help you. And the question before us is, how do we harmonize those two together? How do we bring those two together? Because at first glance, it seems like there is a contradiction. But we know and the power and the sovereignty of God, we know that there is no contradiction in our Bible before us. So how do we harmonize these? And I believe it comes down to one simple word. If you look back in the verse, he says, what good is it? And then he says, my brothers. Do you see that? Once you see it in your text, what good is it? And then he says, my brothers. You see, they're talking to two separate groups of people. Paul was explaining how sinners become saints, but James is explaining how saints become sanctified. Paul is speaking to a religious group of people on how they can be saved, but James is speaking to a group of believers on how their salvation is to be expressed. James is not talking to the same people that Paul is talking to. Man is saved for heaven by faith alone. Amen? There is nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. You can't write a check big enough this morning. We'll take it, we'll cash it, we'll enjoy it, but it will not save you. You cannot attend enough church services to earn your salvation. Our salvation comes by grace through faith alone. But listen, that faith better show itself in the works of our life. Salvation is by faith, but if that salvation does not cause good works in your life, then you better evaluate the authenticity of your salvation. And so is it faith or is it works? The biblical answer is yes. It's that question, what came first, the chicken or the egg? The two must go together. Our salvation is not earned by any works that we could ever do. It is a gift, not a wage that we earn. But that being said, salvation always shows up in our life. Let me show you a few examples of this because it's all throughout our Bible. Last week, we were talking about love, and we went to John chapter 15. You don't have to turn. You'll remember it. But let me just read some of the text to you. John 15, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, that's true salvation. We are abiding in the Lord and he is abiding in us. When that happens, it says he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 
If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Any branch that is not real, that is not genuine, that is not authentic, any branch that does not bear fruit, it is cut off, it is gathered, it is thrown into the fire. There's a picture of judgment, there's a picture of hell for those who have no true working relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in John 15, he says, you have faith, that's good, but you also better have works in your life. Matthew 7 He says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Have you ever gone to a thorn bush and picked off a grape? No, it doesn't happen. Are figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and again is thrown into the fire. And then he says this, thus you will recognize them by their fruit. Go back to that question. Do you know that you've been saved? And why? Why do you answer that way? The Bible makes it clear that if you're truly saved, you will be recognized by the fruit in your life. In other words, when people watch you, they ought to be able to spot Christ in your life. They ought to be able to watch the way that you talk, the way that you treat others, the way that you respond to circumstances in life. And they ought to see a difference in me. They ought to see a difference in you that points them to the Lord Jesus Christ that says there's something different in their life. It says in Philippians 2.13, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is the, work, the one working inside of you. If you've been truly saved, he's working in your life. To bring his pleasure out of you. It says in Matthew 5, in the same way, let your light so shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We look in the Bible and we'll see over and over and over again that our life must show that we've been saved by the blood of Jesus. Let's continue. Look down at your Bible. Let's go to verse 15. It says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So here's the picture. Follow along with me. Let's say it's, it's a Tuesday evening. You're at home. You've already eaten supper. And so you're lounging on the couch. The kids are playing. It's just a good evening going on. And all of a sudden, there's a knock at your door. And so you get up. You go to the door. You open the door. And you, you look out. And you see someone that you're familiar with. Maybe they're a a believer that you've seen before, and they're standing in your doorway, and it's obvious that they have needs. Their clothing is looking rough, and you can tell they're hungry. They have not eaten for days, it appears to you. And so they're standing before you, and they need assistance, and they need help. Let's say that you say, oh, I'm so glad that you're here. Hang on just a second. I'll be right back. And so then you, you run to your little office in your home, and you grab your Bible, and you come back to the door. And you come back to the door and say, man, I am so glad you're here. Let me show you some things from my Bible. Did you know 
that in my Bible, I read that one day Jesus took a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish, and with that, he fed over 5,000 men, plus women, plus children. Probably 20,000 people were fed by Jesus. My Bible tells me that the Lord can provide manna from heaven. Can you imagine that? That's incredible. My Bible tells me that the Lord is a feeder of the hungry and a healer of the sick. My Bible tells me that God is a miracle worker, and I'm convinced that he's going to work in your life, my friend. In fact, let's do this. Let's pray together. And so you come towards him. You put your hands out. You grab his hands, and you pray for him. And you say something like this. Lord, thank you for my brother. Thank you that we know that you are a good God, that you are going to provide for the needs of this individual. I pray that you will bless him greatly. In Jesus' name, amen. Then you let go of his hands and you say, my friend, may God bless you greatly. And you shut the door in his face. You know what that man needed? He didn't need a Bible study. He did not need a prayer time. He needed a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. That's what he needed. He did not need words, but he needed action. Here's the point. Listen to me. For a lot of us in church, we have so many words that we can say. We have so many times that we run our mouth, but the problem is there's no action behind it. And the world is waiting for action. They don't want to hear more talk. They don't want to hear, you know what we do in church? This is what we do. Hey, I'll pray for you right? We say that all the time. Somebody has a need. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for you. Dave, you're hurting. I'm going to pray for you. Lonnie, you're hurting. Let me pray for you. Listen, don't misunderstand me. I'm not belittling prayer, but I'm saying maybe the answer to the prayer is that Christians begin to put some work to their faith, and we help people, and we minister to individuals in need. It is so easy to just throw up this line, I'm going to pray for you and not do anything. But James is saying, if you have faith, but you don't have works, then that is useless. It's just like the hungry man coming to your door and you giving them a Bible study and slamming the door in their face. When is the last time that you really helped somebody else? All right. I don't even know what that is, but I like it. Somebody get a prize on this one. Nobody says amen, but we got some bingos. All right. Y'all see Miss Christie? She'll give you something good, okay? Where was I? That's never happened in my sermon. <laughs> Golly. Let, let's pray. Let's be dismissed right now. No, we're not going to yet, okay? When was the last time that you helped anybody else? When's the last time that you went outside of your way, you got outside of your busy schedule, and you did something that you really didn't want to do, but you wanted to be a blessing for someone else? When's the last time that your faith was not just words, but there was action to back it up? Listen, words and sermons and prayers and confessions, wise advice, encouragement, these are indispensable to our Christian walk, but they are shown to have real meaning and value when people see actions that accommodate our words. If action does not meet the information, what you end up with is a dead faith. Verse 17, so also faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. If faith is not married to works, then your faith dies. It shrinks and it shrivels. It must be energized in order to be potent. 
enjoying the word, listening to the word, coming to church, that's good, but you're no further along unless you have works to back it up. I, I just wonder, when we meet together on a Sunday morning, does it have any effect on the way that we live our life throughout the week? Are we any different on Monday because we came to church on Sunday? Is there any change in our life because we are here this morning? Just like your engine needs gas in order to run, faith needs works in order to be vibrant. Over Christmas break, we were driving around looking at uh, Christmas lights, and we noticed all these new houses, they have all these lights, not Christmas lights, but just lights on the outside of their house. And I like that. I don't like dark. I love light. And so I decided what I'm going to do is I'm going to put these LED lights in the soffits all over the outside of my house. And so I got a hose saw, and I got these lights and some electric wire. And I went all over the house. If you drive by my house at night, it looks like a spaceship is about to just start hovering because there's so many lights around it. But I put these lights in, and I began to run my wire from one to the next to the next. But I realized my lights were worthless until I went in the attic, and I made a junction box, and I made the wires hot. Until I did that, you would come by and you could see the light fixture, you could see the LED light, and you might say, okay, so you put some lights up. I bet that's going to be nice. I bet that's going to be bright. But until I hooked it up to a hot wire, there was, there was no impact of them. They did not do any good. They looked okay, but until they were hooked up, there was no value to them. Here's my point. For a lot of us, we got the church look going down. We've got the words that we say, and people walk by us, and they see us, and they say, oh, you're looking good. You went to church. Praise God for that. You've got some good words to say. You look like you want to be an encouragement. But until we put works to our faith, there's really no point in us. It's like those lights that don't work, the light that doesn't turn on, there's really no effect to us. And so James is saying, if you have faith, but you have no works, then you're useless. Number two, I want you to see this. Works prove your faith. Works prove your faith. Go back to verse 18. James 2, verse 18. And it says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and they shudder. So here he is, and an opponent comes up and says, wait a minute, James, I really don't like the sermon you just preached. I hate it when folks do that. Hey, I really don't like the sermon you preached. I don't agree with it. Here's the reality. You can have your works and I can have my faith and we're going to be okay with that. There's really no connection between faith and works. You do it your way, and I'm going to do it my way. There are a lot of folks in the church that believe just that. There's a lot of folks in the church who believe that they can have faith, but there does not have to be any works to back it up. I'm a Christian, but it doesn't have to affect any other area of my life. I come to church on Sundays, and that's about the extent of it. And we live in a world, and I'm just, be honest with you, I am getting sick of this. We live in a world where Christians look just like the pagans around us. 
And when there is no distinction between Christians and pagans, then the church will have no value and no effect to it. And in so many ways, the church is living life just like the pagans. We watch the same movies. We enjoy the same type of entertainment. Our morality is the same. Our thought life is the same. Our work ethic is the same. The way that we do our taxes is the same. The way that we uh, enjoy our work ethic is the same. Everything about our life is the same as the lost world. And because of that, there's no distinction and there's no power behind it. Too often studies prove that beliefs and behaviors of religious people are not in accordance with their doctrine. Theologians call this theological incorrectness. We know of being politically incorrect, but many of us are theologically incorrect. There was a study done at Princeton years and years ago. I find it very interesting. They went to their seminary and they pulled some young men over and they said, we've got a job for you. We want you to develop a devotion or a sermon on the Good Samaritan. And we want you to get that ready. And here in a little bit, you're going to go to another building and you're going to deliver your message. And so these young men are sitting and they're, they're writing a, a devotion about the Good Samaritan, about helping others. And then the professor comes up and says, okay, the time has come. One at a time, you're going to go to building B, which is about half a mile down the lane from us. And so they would be dismissed to go and to lead their sermon or their devotion. Along the way, they would meet an individual on the roadway who was hurting, who was struggling, who looked like he was sick, and they were trying to decide if these young men would help the man in need as they went to deliver a sermon on the Good Samaritan. You know what they found? Most of these young men on the way to preach about helping others, they would step over the man in need and go on to their next assignment and give their talk. They would not even stop and help the man. Here's what that should do to us. It should slap us in the faith to say, is my faith just words or is there action to it? James asked the objector, he says, show me your faith apart from your works. Show me your faith. How are you going to prove it if you have no works? Verse 19, you believe that God is one, you do well. He's quoting that the Jews would every day quote from the Shema, which is out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, and that would be uh, that God is one. He said, you believe God is one, that's great, I'm glad that you do, but then he says something that would shake them to the core. He says, listen, even the demons believe and they shudder. The demons are a perfect example of having some belief, but surely not being saved. The demons believe that God is one. They know who Jesus is. We read in the Gospels they are terrified of Jesus, but they do not have a saving relationship. There is some belief, but there's no work and there's no action behind it. Listen, everybody understand this. If we are truly saved, there will be action to back it up. Belief is not enough on it. The Bible makes it clear. Belief, faith, that's what saves us, but it always shows itself. It manifests itself in good works. Verse 20, he says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? 
All right, kids, listen. Third and last point, we're almost done. Thirdly, throughout history, faith is shown by works. Throughout history, faith is shown by works. Let's continue in our text. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Genesis chapter 22, we see that Abraham has this call from God. Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the mountain and offer him there as a sacrifice. The text continues, and it says, early the next morning, Abraham got up, he took his son, and they make this trip up to this mountain. And he carries his son, they travel up the mountain, he binds him up, he places him on the altar, he pulls out a knife, he's about to kill his son, and that's when God provides a ram in the thicket. Do you remember what God said next? Abraham, now I know. Abraham, now you have proven it's not just words anymore, but you put your money where your mouth is. You have proven your faith in this moment. That's the illustration, the example that James is going to, to show that faith and works go hand in hand. And then verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. You remember in Joshua chapter 2, Rahab, she took the spies in. She hid them. She provided for them. She risked her life for the advancement of the kingdom of God. There's two examples here. Abraham was a man of high respect. Rahab was a woman of no respect. Abraham was wealthy. Rahab was poor. Abraham had been following the Lord for a long time. Rahab was a new believer. There are two extremes, but here's the reality. It does not matter this morning if you're young or if you're old. It does not matter if you've been following Christ for decades or if you got saved last night. Every one of us need to have a strong faith, but that faith needs to be expressed in works in our life. It goes on, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. I want to close with telling you a little story I remember. <clears throat> when I was in high school, I worked with a guy, and we were, were total opposites, but we became friends as we worked together for several years. Um, and I would often invite him to church, and every weekend he would invite me to go out and party with him. He would not come to church with me, and I would not go and party with him. But I remember there was one Wednesday evening, and we would uh, get off and close down about 6, and the church uh, youth activities begun at 6.30. So I would go straight from work and go to church. I remember we were walking out of the parking lot, and I'd say, hey, you want to go to church with me today? I was expecting him to answer no, just like he always had in the past. But on this night, he said, sure. I'll go with you this evening. And so we get in our trucks. He follows behind me, and we go uh, to the, the youth uh, gathering. And I remember we were there, and I remember watching him. 
I remember watching that people were nice to him. People were friendly. And he looked like he was having a good time. The worship was good. The youth pastor gave a good devotion. And I remember being very excited thinking, this is great. God is doing something great in his life. What if he gets saved from this? That's going to be awesome. And so the night seemed like it went so well. And the next day I saw him at work. And when I saw him, I went up to him. I said, man, I'm so glad you went to church with me last night. And he smiled. And I said, what do you think? Will you go back with me again? And he kind of looked down and he shook his head. And he said, no, I don't think I want to go back again. And I was kind of pushed back on that. And I said, well, why? It looked like you were having a good time. What, what went wrong? And I'll never forget what he told me. He said, Case, everything was great. I was, I was having a good time, you know. But then there's a guy that got up to sing some songs. And he got up and he started talking about how much he loves Jesus. And he started talking all about God. But that's the same guy that's at the parties with me every weekend. Every weekend he's drinking the same stuff I'm drinking. And he's smoking the same stuff I'm smoking. The only difference in our life is that he goes to your church a few hours every week. And if that's all it is to be a Christian, I think I'll pass. And he never went to church with me again. That's what happens when we say we have faith, but it's only words and there's no action. There's a quote that says this, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips but deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Listen, if we're going to talk a big talk, if we're going to claim that we love Jesus, then our life better show it. Because if it doesn't, it's going to be detrimental to the kingdom of God. There are lives that will not be drawn in when all we have are words and there is no action to back it up. 2 Peter 1, 10 and 11 it says, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, then you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. How do you do that? You do it by having fruit in your life. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. And I want you to think about this scripture in your life. Many of us in here today, we have all the right words to say. I've been bought with the blood of the lamb. I've been redeemed. I've been saved. Glory, glory, hallelujah. But my question is, does your life show it? Does your life show it by the way that you live, the way that you talk, the way you treat your spouse? the way you treat your children. You have faith, but do you have works also? If I was to follow you for a week straight, would I see Christ living in your life? That's the question. Now, it, it could be that the Lord has revealed to you this morning that you've never truly been saved. There's no works, there's no fruit, maybe there's no salvation, and the Lord is leading you to be saved. I pray if that's the case, that you'll respond in obedience this morning. It also could be that you have slidden back a little bit. 
you begun to live for yourself. And you say, I know I'm saved, but I'm not showing it. I know I'm saved. I know there used to be fruit. There used to be works, but there's not a whole lot that I'm doing now. And so maybe there needs to be some rededication in your life. What do you need to do to get your life set up so that you can continue in faith, but also prove to have good works, to use the spiritual gifts that the Lord has blessed you with? Lord, we thank you for this time together. Lord, I pray that you've challenged us. Lord, I pray that we realize that faith is so important, but so are works. Lord, I pray if there's one here who is not saved, God, that you will draw them to salvation and, and that they will be obedient. Lord, I pray for those of us who look at our life and we say, I don't remember the last time I helped somebody. I don't remember the last time I served somebody. Lord, I pray there will be a change. And as we leave this place, we'll be ready to work for you and to work for your kingdom. Lord, I pray that you'll have your will during this invitation. Ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Stand.